Good afternoon. Uh, Dr. Gibson, thank you for joining us this afternoon. Uh, we're here on the War Room to the Boardroom podcast. This is our episode two. We're talking about preparing transition. I'm your host, Mayshawn Wilson, uh, Strategic Deals and Biz Ops at Apple, Combat Veteran, Duke MBA, and West Pointer. Our host is uh, Dr. Heiss Gibson. He'll be talking about his transition. Dr. Heiso Gibson is a senior lecturer and professor at Harvard Business School after a distinguished 25-year Army career, culminating as a professor at West Point. He's a graduate of West Point at Naval Post Graduate School and Harvard Business School. And so uh, this is my introduction. Dr. Gibson, one of my longtime mentors, I'll leave it to here uh, to kind of introduce yourself and tell our, our listeners a little bit more about yourself. Uh, thanks, uh, Michelle. I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, engage the audience. And I think um, you kind of hit all the high points. The uh, the only other uh, thing I would add is after 25, during that 25 years, uh, I was a helicopter pilot, uh, lit, operated in Iraq, Afghanistan, uh, South Korea, and commanded in the 82nd, and did not take uh, this idea of transition lightly. <laughs> so, uh, and so I think uh, this is a great topic to truly, hopefully, help others really think thoughtfully about how they're going to go from one career to the next. No, we definitely appreciate your time. And so, going from there, kind of want to get a better understanding of who you are. So, mm-hmm. one, give us a little bit of background about yourself how you kind of came to the military, where were you coming from? Was it military family? Uh, was it sports? Kind of what drew you to the military and kind of driving that initial decision? Well, I think nothing really drew me to the military. I think what drew me to West Point was uh, playing football. So I was recruited to play football uh, and going to West Point, as, as I compared other schools I could have gone to, uh, seemed like the best option. And uh, just so happened going in the military, which is, part of the package of going to West Point. And so the coach did a good job of packaging the Army as a guaranteed job. Very interesting recruiting uh, uh, mechanism, but it, it worked. So like, okay, go in the Army, guaranteed job, not knowing what that really would look like. Uh, and so it seemed like a good idea at the time, 30 years ago. <laughs> that makes sense. And so what kind of drove you in the path of, I want to be a helicopter pilot, and this mm-hmm. is what I want to do, given there are so many different options in the military? I, I think I wanted to be an astronaut as a kid. And so when I saw, actually, there was a guy who was uh, in charge of the gospel choir when I was at West Point, uh, an African-American cadet who wanted to go aviation. So he talked about it. And actually, my B-squad leader talked about being a helicopter pilot. So that kind of what uh, triggered it. And then the, at the time, at West Point, minority outreach officer, a guy named Ed Tipperary, was a Chinook pilot. So I actually saw a couple of folks, a couple, two, who looked like me, one who was and one who wanted to be. And that kind of like put it in my head as something to do. Makes sense. Did you have any, I guess, military experience from your family or you were the first one to kind of forge that path? No, not really. My dad was in the army for like two years in the seventies, but that's about it. My my uncle was in the navy for a couple of years in like the early seventies. So not not a long lineage of military service in my family. Very helpful. And so you left as a as a colonel. Can you talk about why that was the transition point for you? Because I mean, you see a range of people transitioning: a captain, major, lieutenant. Why was that the decision point? I think it was really, it, I think for me, it was a little bit different just because uh, 
when I was a captain, I, did, I was selected to go back to West Point the first time. And so because of the commitment of grad school to uh, additional uh, service obligation, uh, I think it would have let me get out of the Army at 16 years, which made no sense. And then while I was a major, I got selected to go back again. And so the timing of it, kind of like, well, go to grad school, stay another six years, that pushes you out to like 24, 25 years. Just kinda, it was just kind of all the school aim uh, and additional service obligation kind of causes the opportunity for a decision point to be later. That makes perfect sense. And so you mentioned kind of your last job was a professor at West Point. Mm. Can you talk about kind of what were you trying to optimize for? Why was that the decision to leave, you know, mm. considerations um, and deciding to leave at that particular juncture? I think we all have like a, there's certain crossroads you hit when you're in the military. So like when, like you have, when you're a captain after, or a first lieutenant after your first opportunity to leave or at the tenure mark. And I think for me, it's like, so what at the, that point, what else do I want to do? Have I done everything I want to do in the military? And the answer was yes. There's other things to do. And also for me, I think uh, I'd spent a lot of time separated from my family. So how do I ensure that I can uh, be uh, connected to my family and, and the next half of my life? And so that for me, that was a decision point. Makes sense. And so when did you start kind of thinking about that journey? How far out were you from that retirement point at 25 years? I think, honestly, I, I think I had mentors who had told me they started thinking about uh, transitioning well before the point. So, I mean, I, I literally started thinking about transitioning 10 years before it actually happened. Uh, so when I was in grad school around that 14, 15 year mark, I started really thinking about what, what I want the other half of my life to look like. So I started to think about, is it geography that I cared about? Is it uh, industry that I cared about? So I started really starting to talk to folks like well before so that I wouldn't have the stress or pressure in the last couple of years uh, when it's really important to really solidify where you want to go. And so you can't build your networks that last 12 months before you leave the Army. You should have already thought about that well in advance. And are most of these mentors, are they general officers? Are they retired colonels? Are they academics? What does that mix look like? Actually, for me, most of mine are general officers. Uh, yeah, most of them are general officers who, who were still in and who had transitioned. So, so uh, and then a handful of uh, colonels who had transitioned as well. So I think for me, those are a range of folks. And then also classmates who got the Army as captains, but who were executives in firms at the time of, as I was thinking about transitioning, to kind of help balance that those ideas and to get perspective on well, what does the civilian sector versus the military sector really really look like perfect uh and so as you transitioned i guess what did you immediately do after leaving the army uh well for me i actually um had decided what i wanted to do well before uh and so when balancing, do I want to go to the Harvard Business School or go into corporate somewhere? Uh, I ended up picking a Harvard Business School before I even got out, which meant I knew what I was going to do the moment I started terminal leave. So to start terminal leave, I started HBS like a week later. It's kind of simple. But I thought about this again well in advance. 
And what was that deciding factor for you, whether I wanted to go into corporate, whether I want to be in academia? I mean, there are different. I think for me, it was more geography and my girls weren't going to move from and family wanted to go to move to Boston. So no matter what I was going to do, it was, I was geographically bound by where I was going to be. So I was going to be in Boston, close to an airport, having to travel. And so what allowed me the most flexibility. And so that's kind of, and so being an academic provides the most opportunity for flexibility, which is kind of how I ended up where I was. So it just, it just made the most sense. Did you consider any particular, I guess, programs when you're transitioning? I know they have, you know, very senior military officer programs or, mm-hmm. you know, additional schooling. I mean, you've, you're, you're a PhD, so that's mm-hmm. probably not the case, but yeah. the program gets geared towards your demographic transition. Nah, actually, for me, not really. I, I didn't. And, but the Army does have a lot of amazing programs now that they didn't have like five or 10 years ago for certifications. They're like, uh, you know, a PMP or a CISSP cyber certification and other things. So I, I'd recommend those for me. I didn't really necessarily need to lean on those because of having a network, having enough education to, to lean on that it wasn't a big deal, but that that's the, uh, is not the norm. And I think leveraging things like skill bridge are critical. Uh, they get, and, uh, because the, what I think a lot of officers, senior officers are, military officers in general realize that you need space to think as you transition and you can't just lean on leadership. You, <laughs> you have to do something you need some time to figure out what is it that I do? What do I, how do I add value? What is my value proposition? And you need to understand the, the language of business. That is not the language of an ORB or MDMP. It, it's different. Okay. Well said. Well said. And so based on where you've been, where you are currently, where are you trying to go next? I've seen the conversations with various academic and educational workshops, conversations with CEOs like Jamie Diamond. Mm-hmm. Where is Dr. Gibson heading next? I think I'm happy where I am because there's a lot of great opportunities uh, in the building impact the world. I mean, to say that it's not flippant. It's just kind of when you're at a place like the Harvard Business School, the ability to interact with some brilliant minds on a daily basis, uh, the ability to have a direct impact on the folks who will be future investors, future CEOs is real. And the opportunity to help current executives make their best better. I, I think there's no uh, better place, at least for me. And it kind of almost in a way makes sense having been able to be at West Point where we develop leaders of character every day. And the idea that leaders are, are born, not made. No, no, no. West Point, we make them every day. It's a thing. We have a process. You can do it. And HBS is that same kind of place. And so I think for me, figuring out how to create new frameworks, uh, engage executives in that way to help and help future current MBAs go off into the world and be amazing investors and leaders is a, a great space to be in for a second career for me. So now that you've had this experience, you've kind of decided where you want to go for your next phase of life. If you could take some of the lessons learned and boil those down, um, kind of want to structure this in, you know, one, what are some of the materials that you use? They can be books, they could be podcasts yep. and from there, how you thought about transitioning and kind of how you would do it the same or differently. And so I think I do this. I think I would do the same. I think uh, reaching out to folks early 
I think largely books like what colors my parachute to really decide on what is important to me. Is it geography? Is it comp? Is it happiness? What is the thing that motivates me? And what's the most important thing in the next phase is really important to uh, really distill, leverage programs, leverage coaches, reach out to people early, uh, and then also think through uh, the last few assignments in the Army. Where do I want to be in doing that transition? Because not all jobs lend themselves to the ability to think about li- leaving the Army. And so being at a place like West Point, although intense, is far less intense than being you know, like a core staff or division staff. So you just need the space. That makes sense. And so you said, what color is your parachute? And so can you talk a little bit about how you planned your transition? So you mentioned, you know, assignments where you have the space to breathe. Mm-hmm. So probably not necessarily, you know, a force comm unit. Yeah. It's Anything else, I guess, either in terms of education, you mentioned a couple of certification mm-hmm. programs and skill bridge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what other considerations, you know, if you had to do it again, would you either change or do the same? Any of those elements? I, I think I think the time for thinking about transitioning is at least 24 months out. So at, at least two years out, start thinking about what you want to do and go ahead and do like the Soldier for Life program. You can do it twice, actually. So do it two years out and go through the process the first time so you can understand all the things that are available to you as a veteran. And then do it again a year out. That's one. Two, leverage skill bridge. So that helps you back up your time. Figure out where do I want to go? Pick a spot again within two years out. So then when you start to back up terminally skill bridge, you're actually, by doing it two years out, by the time you're 12 months out, you're actually involved in this transition. Because you've already thought through it. You you connected to places. And there's a lot of large corporations that have programs geared toward vets at multiple levels now because they now acknowledge captains and colonels and lieutenant colonels and majors are all not the same thing. <laughs> and so it's not just veteran, which is kind of how a lot of organizations that do it. Just We want vets. I'm like, well, what kind of vet? What skills? What level? They're not all the same. And so the organizations are now starting to understand that. And so figuring out where you want to be is really important. Uh, and then I think uh, also putting yourself out there and recognizing that you have separate knowledge, skills, and attributes based on your, your background. And so, for instance, uh, there are many, uh, I'll use West Point as a great example. There are many colonels at West Point who believe that they're all the same. Well, if you have a PhD in chemistry versus a PhD from a business school, you're actually not the same. There's actually nothing similar besides the fact that we're the same uniform. Your knowledge of attributes are different versus someone who's a computer scientist or data scientist. That's a different skill set. You can like jump out right now and go get it because you have a tangible skill different than just a researcher. So recognizing your, your unique differences is really important. And so, again, if, if you're inside the 24-month window, you're already late. And so in understanding your value proposition, uh, I'm curious, I guess, how did you learn about framing that? Because... Again, to your point, the army typically treats whether you're a captain, major, or colonel, you're kind of a cog, and we can put the cog in Fort Drum, we can put you at Fort Sill. The cog is the cog. I think that's a personal reality. I think because I spent so much time in during my period in the army outside of an army unit <laughs> that provided trade space to think in ways that not everyone has the opportunity to to do. And so I think just 
because of my unique career path, I've had multiple opportunities to step away. And the stepping away has been amazing. So either grad school as a post-command captain and then being at West Point for a few years or going to Air Command and staff or for my PME as an opportunity or being in Boston for three straight years. All those times away from a unit provided space to think. And so I think those those are really critical that I had the opportunity to do that everyone does. But then you have transition points where you can think if you use them smartly. But I mean, that, again, it's a very intentional. You just can't drop out of the army one day and think everything's going to be okay. Uh, you have to really be intentional. And there's programming for that. But, but even then, everyone learns all the programs that, that are available. Makes sense, sir. I mean, similar journey coming out of outreach, right? Mm-hmm. Where if you can see yourself outside of military, mm-hmm. see how civilians operate besides going to the field, you're like, oh, this is why I'm different. Yep. It makes a lot of sense. Um, and so going from there, can we talk a little bit about uh, kind of benefits, kind of terminal leave? How did you think about that? Because, you know, we know dealing with the VA, getting everything together, can really get some progress or process, I should say. How do you go about approaching or kind of segmenting that? So I think uh, that is critical. I think I have a lot of advice and a lot of uh, mentors help me think through that part. I mean, as far as uh, making sure you're getting everything documented in your, in your, in your body, because you know, the way we came into the arms, not the way we're going to leave. And so ensuring that you have everything documented. I've heard that for years, but literally the moment I, you know, uh, got to West Point, I ensured that all these aches and pains from slowing down, I was being in a high optimal unit. I, I ensured it was all documented and then ensure that I signed up for the, uh, the ability to get all my, what do you call it, all my exams done before I got out of Definitely all of active duty caused my VA process to be far easier than had I waited till act at the end. And so I ensured all that was done well before I got out. Did you manage that process on your own or did you have Yeah, you know, I managed it on my own. But I made all the appointments uh, and then um, went to my the, the VA person at the hospital and they set, made sure everything was aligned. Uh, and so it was pretty pretty seamless. All of my appointments were were set up before I went on terminal leave. Which again, but that that's going to someone and getting the help early and not waiting until, oh yeah, I gotta do this. Like, no. Because that's one less thing you want to worry about. Because we both know once you get you deal with the VA, once you get your initial rating, there's a whole separate process and there's a lot of things that come from just getting those things done that uh are, are amazing benefits. So You've been in the military for X number of days. You're, it's not like you're taking something that's what you're owed based on service of the nation. So love, use all your benefits. Kind of last point in looking mm-hmm. at transition as a whole, um, location. So given where most army installations tend to be, kind of far away, mm-hmm. your centers tend to be more concentrated in the South. How would you tell people to kind of think about that location piece? And so that that is critical. So, I mean, a lot of people think they want to go back to where they came from. I would argue probably not because uh, at least I'm from a small town. I'm not going back to my small town. 
And so I think, think geographically, Northeast, Southeast, Midwest, South, or West, break it up into big buckets. In the remote environment, it's far easier to have remote work, but then think about, well, what kind of lifestyle do you want to have? That's really important to think about. And what area provides you that? Uh, and so I really think location is key, but the, in the first location might not be the last location. So you don't have to be, uh, I'm going to like plant my flag in South Carolina. Well, you might move. It's okay. So be, be open to that until you really are settled on where you want to be. I mean, I'm in Boston now. Doesn't mean I'm going to stay in Boston, but at least for the next five to eight years, I'll probably be in Boston. But then where are we going to go next? Some more problems out. And so if you were to sum up kind of your experience, what are your top three for veterans that are following after you in mm-hmm. that side and they want to be, you know, helicopter pilots mm-hmm. or want to be, you know, HPS professors? Mm-hmm. What are those three things that they should know based on Dr. Gibson's experience? I think they should know that really taking some time to really think about what they want to do next is hard. It takes time. It has to be intentional. Similar like that PCS move. You have to be really focused on what do I want to do and asking for help early and often because you don't know what you don't know. And so use your network. Ask all the questions. Use all of the program that the Army has. There's a lot of them. And there's people at the ACS office, uh, Army Community Service, that are there to help you figure this out. You're not by yourself. One. Two, ensure you you uh, think about the medical portion of this because you're busted from being in the Army. Acknowledge, your, acknowledge that and use the system that is there to support you uh, as a veteran. And then lastly, um, don't be scared. You're not the first person to ever leave the army. Everyone, there's about 10,000 people who do it every month. So, so there, there's a process. Uh, and so, uh, go, go ask for help. You're not the only one. And there's no crazy questions. Ask for all the help as humanly possible. All right, Gibson, I appreciate it. So, you know, if our, if our listeners kind of want to follow up and see what you're working on, uh, you know, where can they do that? You know, any initiatives or books that you're working on, thought leadership pieces, where should they go? They can just go to the Harvard Business School faculty page, type my name and all the information is right there or my LinkedIn, which is not a big deal. It's all right there too. Awesome. Well, Dr. Gibson, I really appreciate your time and your wisdom sharing it with our listeners. And thank you so much again for your time. No problem. Thanks a lot.